Exodus. We're back in Exodus. All right. Exciting to get back into the book of Exodus this morning. Well, uh, there's been this new thing. I don't know if you've noticed this, but our uh, family enjoys several uh, TV shows. And one of them that uh, the boys and I have started watching is uh, the book of Bubba Fett. Anybody start watching that yet? Yeah, it's really good. It's like, you know, uh, the Mandalorian and the book of Bubba Fett feel like Disney's best with the new Star Wars, if you've been disappointed with Disney's Star Wars, these are pretty good. Uh, but one of the things that has uh, happened with this uh, is it comes out weekly. It's exclusively on a streaming thing, platform, but it comes out weekly. And lots of shows are doing that now. It's like they've rediscovered something, that like waiting is okay. Right? Remember when streaming services first came out, it was like, you can watch every episode of every season of the show in a row right now, only to be interrupted by Netflix saying, are you still watching? (laughs) Yes, I'm still watching. Don't judge me, Netflix, right? But now they're like rediscovering this new thing that many of us grew up with, which was like, you had to wait at least a week for a show, (laughs) right? You just had to wait to see the next thing. That waiting can sometimes be a really good thing. Now, many of us have experienced over the past few years waiting in a really hard way. The reality of COVID has been so challenging, and one of the things that has been so challenging is the waiting of like, hey, when do we get to go back to some level of normal that happened before this? When do we get to see people again? When do we get to enjoy this thing again? When do we get to do this? We just have to wait. And it's really hard. There's other seasons of our lives in which waiting is really, really hard. If you're dealing with some sort of chronic pain, when will I feel better? Some loss of a loved one, when will the sorrow go away? Dealing with an addiction to something. When will I find relief from this? When will I get over this? Dealing with the reality of the injustice of our world. Whether that's in systemic racism or poverty or struggling through uh, what sort of injustice exists in your life. When, God, will you deliver me from this new thing? Something that I can't control. I can't just work harder to fix. When will you deliver me? When will you bring family members that I know and love to Jesus? Just waiting on them. Or maybe you're waiting on some sort of dream that you've had. Maybe it's for a job and you're frustrated in your current working environment. Maybe it's for a spouse. Maybe it's for kids. Some sort of dream that you've had and you've just been waiting And it seems as though God is never going to provide what it is. And you're just stuck waiting. And it doesn't feel like the good anticipation of waiting for your favorite show to come back next week. But the very painful reality of God, when are you going to show up? Well, the story of God can really be summed up, particularly the story of the Old Testament, can really be summed up in the book of Exodus. And that is a story of waiting. 
This morning, what I'd like to do is catch us up where we have been in the book of Exodus. So we were uh, through, uh, I think, through chapter 20 in the book of Exodus prior to the pandemic starting, and we took a pause, and then we took a longer pause and another pause. So you've been waiting for this book to finish for a long time. Um, and so what we're going to do is recap some of what we have walked through and catch us up, and, and then next week we'll look at, um, we, we had just arrived at where uh, God's people were receiving the law from the Lord. And so we'll catch up uh, to that, and then next week we'll look at what does God's law mean for us, what does that look like, and then we'll move forward in the book of Exodus. So, uh, but to recap kind of the context of where we're at in the book of Exodus, if you have read through the Old Testament, you know that God begins to work through a people. Uh, we call these the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, this story walks through the book of Genesis, and these are the beginnings of God's people. And then Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers into Egypt, and Joseph uh, arrives there, and, and God blesses him, and he rises up in the ranks of Egypt and becomes the most powerful man in Egypt. And there's a famine in the land in which uh, Joseph's family lives, and so they come to gain food from Egypt, and Joseph uh, gives them food, and there's this whole exchange between Joseph and his brothers. But eventually what happens is all of Joseph's brothers come to live in Egypt with him. And so the people of God are taken out of the promised land and land in Egypt. And for a while, things go okay. And then a king arises that does not know Joseph, does not remember him, does not know anything of Israel, and he begins to be scared of the size of Israel, and so he begins to oppress Israel. He enslaves the Israelites and makes them do uh, forced labor for him in a way to subject this people in order for his own protection. And they're enslaved for quite some time. And then the story of Exodus begins uh, with him, uh, with one of the kings of Egypt saying, hey, we're going to just, we're, we're going to stop allowing for uh, boys to be born because we're afraid of how big Israel is becoming. And we're afraid that they'll rise up against us. And so, uh, he commands that all the infant boys would be killed. And God shares with us in this story uh, the miraculous birth of Moses and his protection. Moses is protected from this decree. And actually, uh, Moses is found in the Nile floating by the daughter of Pharaoh and taken into Pharaoh's household. And so it seems like in the flow of the story, this is it. We have an insider who is rising in the ranks, who will free our people. And then Moses goes out one day to visit his people and sees an Egyptian uh, and an Israelite fighting, and he kills the Egyptian and hides his body in the sand. And the next day he comes back out and he is discovered to have killed this Egyptian, and so Moses flees. He goes into the wilderness and he flees away from uh, the Egyptians, and he is hiding out. And again, we're stuck in this place of waiting. This character has been introduced into the story, and it seems like this will be the one. There's a miraculous birth. There's the promise of redemption. This might be it. And then we're stuck waiting again. 
So I want to pick up the story here, and we're going to walk through a couple of things, but I want to pick up the story. I think there's some good summary verses in the book of Exodus, and so uh, we're going to pick it up in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. That'll be kind of our focus for today. I'm going to go ahead and try this, Chris, see if this works. Nope, it doesn't. It's fine. Oh, Oh, okay. Oh, hey, look at that. It's finally working. Okay, so uh, Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. Now, this is the king that uh, Moses was afraid of, that Moses was afraid was going to come and, and find him out for killing this Egyptian. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. We're going to look through summarizing this book with these three phrases. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant and God knew it was time to act. God hears, God remembers, and God knows says that God hears. He heard their groaning. God heard the groaning of his people. He heard them suffering under their heavy burdens. Not only were they uh, suffering under the oppression of not being able to live in the, the place that they desire, not being able to rule over themselves, but they were forced into labor. And we see that uh, the Egyptian kings were not kind to the Israelites. As we see, actually, their oppression gets worse before it gets better. God heard the suffering of his people. And God hears the suffering of this world. God hears our groans and our suffering when it comes to struggling through this pandemic globally. Crying out to the Lord, God, when will you give relief? So many people have died. God, do you hear? Do you care? God hears our groaning. God hears the groaning of those who experience natural disasters in which the world is groaning and breaking and showcasing the brokenness. Suffering under tornadoes or hurricanes or earthquakes or just wind and rain and flooding All of these signs point to the fact that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And God hears our groaning in the midst of it. He hears those who groan under the weight of poverty. Struggling to know, where will I sleep tonight? Where will I find my next meal? Can I get a job that will satisfy my needs? Can I get something? Can I get ahead in any way? Can I survive through my own mental health crisis in order to pursue a job? God hears those groanings. God hears the suffering of those experiencing racism. God, will you ever relent from this thing? This thing that has plagued our country for so long and plagued the world since its very existence. Since the fall of man, we have struggled to love one another. God hears our suffering in it. 
God hears the suffering under police brutality. God hears the suffering of those who have experienced any form of abuse, whether as children or adults, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, domestic abuse, sexual abuse. God hears those groanings. God hears the groanings of those who have experienced slavery and are experiencing slavery right now throughout the world. Any sort of forced labor throughout the world that people experience, God hears those things. God hears those who have experienced the trauma of terrorism. Those who are in refugee situations around the world or in this place, in this country, who have fled other countries, God hears their groanings and suffering. God hears the suffering, the groanings of those who are suffering in times of war. We could go on and on and on. There is as many people as there are in the world as, the many, as, as many stories of suffering exist in the world. God hears every one of them. God hears the suffering specifically of his people, those who are experiencing persecution throughout the world right now, who worship under the threat of punishment from governments and even death. And God hears your personal suffering. Whatever you have experienced, whatever pain you are going through, whatever suffering you have experienced and you are groaning to the Lord in, He hears you. He is available. He hears you. And not only does He hear But this text tells us that he hears and he remembers. He remembers. God remembers. Specifically in this text, right, it says that God remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, if you have read through the scriptures, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were pretty important characters throughout the Old Testament. But you may think, okay, God hears and he remembers, but why do I care that he remembers his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Because those guys are dead. So why do I care about what he remembers with them? Well, you need to understand that God has always worked through the world in terms of covenants with his people. Now, a covenant is a promise. It's a relationship of law and love between God and his people. It has boundaries of law surrounding it. That God is obligating himself to certain things and requiring his people to certain things. And yet it's a relationship motivated by love. That's why we call marriage a covenant. It has both law and love. It is hard, it is harder, uh, uh, to dissolve a marriage than simply to dissolve a relationship, right? There are legal things around it. And yet it is one of love. It is a commitment to one another. It's the same with our covenants with God, that God is promising to his people certain things and requiring of them certain things, but it's a relationship. It's not a contract. It's a relationship of love. So the fact that God remembers his covenant promises is really good news for us. Now, the point of 
uh, Exodus saying this is not to tell us something of God's character, that he has a bad memory and he needed it to be jogged for a moment so that he would remember, oh yeah, I made promises to people. No, that phrase, God remembered, is for us, not for him. He knows what he's doing, as we'll see here in a little bit. But it is for us to remember that God has made commitments to others. God has made a commitment to Adam. God made a commitment to Adam, right? You live in this place, and you, eat of the, you can eat of anything you want, but if you eat of this tree, we're going to have some problems, right? And God was faithful to that. Adam ate of the tree, and we had some problems, right? And yet God promised immediately, one is going to come from Eve who will crush the serpent's head. God made that promise, and he will fulfill it, and did in the person of Jesus. Now, God made the promise. He fulfilled it way later, right? But he made the promise, and he is good on it. God made a promise to Noah. God made a promise to Abraham. God made a promise, we'll see, to Moses and his people. And God made promises to David, king of Israel. And God made promises through the person of Jesus to the church. This storyline of scripture of God's covenants can be traced all the way through scripture from the beginning to the end. And it's really, really important because it means that God's redemption isn't based upon how he feels about you today, right? It isn't based, we'll, we'll get to how he feels about you today. That's a different story, right? Uh, but often we think our sin is going to jeopardize God's promise. I'm sure the people of Israel sitting in oppression, in slavery, thought over and over again, what did we do wrong, God? What did we do wrong to deserve this? What have we done to, to bring upon your judgments? And yet the promise here is, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. And God is going to redeem regardless of what you've done or not because he made a promise to Abraham that Abraham would be the father of many nations. That Abraham, through Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed. You know that you... If you are a follower of Jesus and you're not of Jewish descent, you are a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. The reason you're sitting here worshiping Jesus is because God said, Abraham, I'm going to do this thing through you. And that means God's commitment is not tied simply to you. Though that does motivate him, we'll get to that. But it's bigger than that. It's also tied to I have made promises and I am faithful and I will do it. Even when you fight against it, I will do it. No one outdoes God and says, no thanks, I'm going to go my own way. He will come after us. In a commitment to his covenant promise. So God's covenant promises exist to assure us that he is at work in the world. And so when Exodus says, God heard them, and then he remembered his promises. What the writer here is telling us is that God is going to do something with what he has heard. God hears, and God remembers. When we think of God hearing all of our suffering, we need to know that God also remembers that he has made promises. 
He has made promises to one day reverse every part of this curse that we experience. He has made a promise to bring you home. And he is going to keep it. God hears and God remembers. Not only does God hear, not only does he remember, but he also knows. Now, in the Hebrew here, it it simply says that God looks down, he sees his people, and he knew. That's all it says. It it, it doesn't add this phrase, it was time to act. That's kind of a a translation uh, interpretation, but it's a good one of, of kind of where what this word is kind of trying to get at, that God knows that it's time to do something. God hears, God remembers, he hears his people suffering, he remembers his covenant, and now he knows it's time to act. But I think when we read this, if we look at the story of Exodus, I think it's right for us to ask the question, does he really know? Right? I mean, we should at least be honest that that's the question that we're asking, Whether it's right or not for us to ask it, we should be honest that that's the question we ask when we have to wait. Does God really know? I mean, imagine the the circumstances that the Israelites are in. We're talking generations of people who are suffering under oppression. This is not like a, hey, this is a quick stay here. No, people lived, died New people were born, lived, and died, and still God's people were under slavery. They were still in oppression. So God, do you really hear us? Do you really remember your covenant promise? And do you really know that it's time to act? Because frankly, I think you should have acted quite a while ago. Maybe that's how you feel now with the suffering that you're experiencing. I think all of us collectively are like, God, we're really over this COVID thing and we would like to get back to something other than this, right? We're really over this. Do you not hear us? Do you not understand? Do you not know that it's time to act? Satan uses our circumstances to tell us that God does not hear that he does not know, that he is deaf, blind, dumb, and unable to act. Satan tries to convince us that God is just like the rest of the idols of the world. Psalm 135 says this, The idols of the nations are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, and eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, and mouths but cannot breathe. And those who make idols are just like them as are all who trust in them. Satan whispers these things to us and tries to convince us. God's word says this about other things, but really, if you look at the world, doesn't it seem like God's the same way? Just this thing that you guys invented to feel better about yourselves, but look at the world. How can you believe that God hears, that he remembers, and that he knows that it's time to act? Do you not have eyes? Can you not see how terrible things are. And yet, in the midst of this, faith tells us to wait and see. I wish I had a quick, easy answer to what it looks like to wait. But the reality is, God's word tells us to wait. Lamentations 3 
19 through 26 says this, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. We went through the book of Lamentations a few years ago. And when Jeremiah is saying this, like we, we went through chapter after chapter in which he is detailing his suffering and it is intense. When he says, I will never forget this awful time, it is bitter beyond words. He is speaking from his heart and his experience and it is bad. He is being honest over those things. As I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Yet I still dare to hope. This is one of my favorite phrases in the book of Lamentations. It's not even that Jeremiah is saying, I hope in this, right? This isn't like the book of Lamentations is not something that you paint on a wooden sign and hang in your house, right? It's not like some cliche. He says, it's not like I will hope in the Lord. All is good. Mm, This is great. Suffering, no problem. No, it's I dare to hope. I'm not even at hope yet. I'm just daring to maybe hope. Why? Because I remember the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. It is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. What Jeremiah is saying is what the Israelites needed to hear in this time of waiting and what you and I need to hear in this time of waiting. It is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Wait, why is it good though? Why is it good to wait? Well, I don't have an answer for why it's good in the moment to wait. But what Jeremiah's answer is, is that God is faithful to his promise. Just wait. You're going to have to wait to see it. But God is faithful to his promise. And that's exactly what happens in the book of Exodus. Moses shows up in the book of Exodus. He does come back, though there's some uh, fighting with God about whether or not he was going to come back. But he does come back and he does declare to Pharaoh, my people will go. The Lord says, let my people go and they will go. And Pharaoh fights him. And we walk through each of these miraculous events in the plagues in which God is going after specifically going after the the gods of Egypt, and he's mocking the gods of Egypt over and over again. Like these are puny idols. They do nothing. Look at what I will do, and I will display for you my glory. And he does so over and over and over again through these 10 plagues, and we get to the final one, and Moses calls together the people of Israel, and he says, He calls together all the elders of Israel together and said to them, go pick out a lamb or young goat for each of your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Drain the blood into a basin, then take a bundle of hyssop branches and dip it into the blood. Brush the hyssop across the top and sides of the door frames of your houses and no one may go out through the door until morning. 
For the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. God shows up. He is faithful to his promise. He actually tells Moses in the very beginning, you know what, Pharaoh's going to fight me on this, and eventually I'm going to take his firstborn. And he warns Pharaoh over and over again, and Pharaoh does not listen to the Lord, and so the Lord is good on his promise. And yet, when the angel of the Lord sees the blood, he passes over. God delivers his people who have waited quietly for his salvation. God delivers his people and they are spared. Not only that, but then they get to leave the land. And what God has been at work doing is showcasing his glory that there is really a God in Israel. All throughout the Old Testament, this story reverberates. When the people of Israel move into the land, you know what they hear? We've heard about the Lord and what he has done. And they go out with a mixed company, not just the Israelites, but also some Egyptians go out with them. Why? Because they see what happened and they say, we're not sticking with Pharaoh. We're going with the God who hears his people, remembers his promises, and acts. We're going to go with him. And so God delivers them. The people of Israel had lived in Egypt for 430 years. 430 years. In fact, it was on the last day of the 430th year that the Lord, that all the Lord's forces left the land. On this night, the Lord kept his promise to bring his people out of the land of Egypt. So this night belongs to him and it must be commemorated every year by all the Israelites from generation to generation. 430 years. Have you waited that long for your suffering to end? Have you waited that long? What we learn from the book of Exodus is that God is slow. According to our perspective, at least. But like great wizards maybe would say, a wizard is never late. Nor is he early, but he arrives precisely when he means to. The Lord is not late. He's not early, but he's doing exactly what he means to do when he means to do it. The people of Israel don't get the benefit of seeing the fullness of the story like we do. You know why Jeremiah says, I can wait upon the Lord quietly because his faithfulness endures forever, because he knows the the whole story of the Exodus. He knows, yes, it took 430 years, but God was good on his promise and he delivered his people. And he did exactly what he said he would do. You know what? We know more than Jeremiah did. We can wait quietly on the Lord because everything that God is doing in Exodus is really about what God is about to do in another place through the Lord Jesus Christ. Our present circumstances may not show that God is at work, but the history of salvation does show it. There's a phrase that finds itself all across the New Testament, and it's alluded to here in Isaiah. Isaiah 49, 8 says this, This is what the Lord says, At just the right time, I will respond to you. 
on the day of salvation, I will help you. I will protect you and give you the pe- to give you to the people as my covenant with them. Through you, I will reestablish the land of Israel and assign it to its own people again. This phrase, at just the right time, is picked up throughout the New Testament in a number of places. 2 Corinthians 6.2, For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for sinners. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. The reason we can wait quietly on salvation from the Lord is because at just the right time, God knows when to act. And we may not think it's the right time, but we also wouldn't have come up with the plan of salvation. We wouldn't have come up with this idea that God himself will come and enter into our suffering. Not save from afar, but come, take on flesh, become a man, live and walk and teach among us, and then die in your place and in mine for the forgiveness of our sins. That's not a plan we would have come up with. We wouldn't have chosen that idea. We wouldn't have thought of it. We wouldn't have said, God, you come and suffer in our place. But God remembered that he made a promise. And it doesn't matter how wayward and sinful his people have become. He will do good on that promise and he will come. Actually, in their sin, he will come and save them. Not before or not after they get their act together, but while they were still sinners, Jesus came to save at just the right time. At just the right time, God said, it is time for me to act. And so in our waiting and in our suffering, we can trust in the Lord and wait quietly for salvation because we know the God of salvation, the God who has come in the person of Jesus, to die for your sins and to rise from the dead so that you could know him. And at just the right time, he will come back again. He will come back again and he will make all things new. You know, in the history of salvation, we are the people with the most of the history of salvation behind us and one final act in front of us. Out of all of God's people, we are the most to trust by sight and by faith. Because we can look back in history and see all of these things that God has done. And all we need to do is look ahead to this one final thing of Jesus' return in which he will right all wrongs, in which he will make all things new, in which he will be the one to welcome us home to wipe every tear from our eyes, from all of our suffering. All of our suffering will end and he himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. Jesus will do it. He is faithful. He has said it and it will happen. And so we can wait quietly on his salvation.
Second Peter 3, 8 through 10 says this, but as, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day, meaning God is outside of time because he created time. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. You know, it's one of the things that you can think about God is being slow and we think that God is being slow. And yet, if God returned when previous generations cried out for the Lord's mercy and he ended all things, you and I wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't have the blessing of being created in God's image to know him. We wouldn't know Jesus. If he returned before you met Jesus, you wouldn't know Jesus. So even as you wait in frustration, and that's real, not minimizing any of that, the frustration of waiting for God's promises is very real, and he doesn't minimize it. He wants you to bring it to him, to cry out to him. But even as you wait in that, you can be thankful because God has been patient so that you know Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have not turned from your sin, repented of your sin, and trusted in him. God has been patient and waited. And maybe he waited so that this, would, this day would come and you would hear God's word and his spirit would awaken your heart. Don't wait any longer. Today is the day of salvation. God has been patient. And maybe right now is just the right time. That God is at work. And so even in the midst of our frustration at the waiting, we can look back on the story of Exodus, we can look back on the story of Jesus, and we can say, this is not what I would choose. But you know what? I'm not that wise. I can trust that the God who has ruled history and is barreling towards a new heavens, new earth, in which the curse is reversed, and we enjoy fellowship with God and one another for all eternity, that he's got this. And I can wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. It's what we're going to wrestle through as we continue to wrestle through the book of Exodus, because they receive this glorious promise, they receive this glorious redemption, and yet they kind of continue to struggle just like us, waiting upon the Lord. So we're going to continue to wade through this, but this morning what you need to know is that wherever you're at, whatever you're dealing with, God hears you. He remembers his promise to you in the person of Jesus. and He knows when is the right time to act. Let's pray together. Father, we do not have the faith necessary to wait upon you. Our faith is weak. It's fickle. The circumstances of our lives seek to pull us down all the time, seek to make us doubt God's goodness, seek to make us doubt that you, Lord, are faithful. So, Father, we need you. We need you to be present. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you fill us Strengthen us. Help us to hold up the shield of faith 
So that in the face of the circumstances that we may face, we will say, Lord, we trust in you. We are waiting quietly for your salvation. And Lord, we do cry out, come quickly and make all things new. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.